instructed by God to go down and tell the people, don't come too close. If you're not worthy to look, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. You're going to get, you're going to get burned. So what would, the, what would be the typical response to that? I mean, would you feel so sure of yourself and your readiness that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going forward after you had just heard if you are not really prepared and you're not worthy, that you're going to, you're going to be burned? Well, as I said earlier, the people were willing, but they were afraid and unready. What can we learn by the fact that the Lord knew this? He knew it. And yet he issued the invitation. I think it's so important for us to ponder that question. That the Lord is constantly calling to us and he knows right where we are. The people said to Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. But who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? And so because of this decision by the people, this is why most of the Jews who, who do retell this story say that that marriage has not taken place. Moses and 70 others went up to meet the Lord. And in fact, I really love that we're doing Come Follow Me this year, and I hope that you noticed that um, Jeth, or Joshua was with Moses and that he was one of the 70 that went up and saw the Lord. In fact, we know that they partook of bread and wine with him and they, and they saw him. Remembering this is what the Lord wants for us. He doesn't want to stay on the other side of the veil. He wants us to really know him. And that's why he is calling it a marriage. It's the only kind of explanation or a word that he can use that can really help us relate and understand how deeply personal this relationship is. So 70 went with Moses and they did meet with the Lord, but those who remained behind built the golden calf. It was something that they were used to. They had seen these kinds of idols in Egypt, and in fact, they called the golden calf Jehovah. And they were not ready, and they substituted a, a false god for the opportunity to really know God for themselves. And the Lord referred to this day throughout the scriptures as the day of provocation. In other words, he had issued an invitation. Not only did they not receive the invitation, but they turned to other idols. And this is where we have the beautiful um, harmony of having the modern day scriptures help us to be able to see and understand all that really happened there. I'm so grateful for the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which includes the restoration of the new and everlasting covenant. With that comes the restoration of the priesthood, which is important for us to understand that Doctrine and Covenants 84 tells us that Moses plainly taught the children of Israel what they were being invited to do. He plainly taught them that they were being invited to come into the presence of God. But they were not ready, they were afraid, and in fact then they turned away to a false god. And the scripture tells us, and without the ordinances thereof, meaning the Melchizedek priesthood, and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. So in other words, they see the Shekinah or the fire, but they don't see the literal body of God. 
For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. Therefore he took Moses out of their midst and the holy priesthood also, and the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. Now this is so important, that very last part, that we need to understand this was an act of mercy on God's part to, to present the people with the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood was basically saying, if you can't endure my presence, Let's practice getting ready to endure my practice by being able to endure the presence of angels. So in other words, remember that the Aaronic priesthood holds the keys of the ministering of angels. And so we will read specifically in our dispensation, Joseph Smith being visited by angels, but we will also read in the Bible of those prophets who are called and invariably are receiving angels first before they come into the presence of God. So this was actually a tremendous gift of mercy. It's not like God said, oh, you are such evil people, I will have nothing to do with you now. But instead, he prepared a way for them to be able to one day accept that invitation and come into, their, their, into his presence. And in fact, after this point, he tells them, I'm not going to lead the people anymore by the pillar of, uh, pillar of the cloud and fire, but I'm going to send an angel to lead the people, to help prepare them, to help them to get ready to come into his presence. And even more than that, and we'll talk about this tomorrow, one of those gifts of the bridegroom was the tabernacle, which could help the people to practice and prepare themselves so that they could come into his presence. Now, invariably, whenever I talk on this subject, people always say, oh, but this is all Law of Moses. And we have a tendency to think Law of Moses is basically a junk law. But I want us to think a little bit more deeply about what value that law may have by considering a few things, like this written in Judaism 101. When you do these things, in other words, keep the law of Moses, you are constantly reminded of your relationship with the divine, and it becomes an integral part of your entire existence. And then this one, if the law of Moses is meaningless to us now, why is it that Nephi and his brothers risked their lives to go back to Jerusalem to get the plates? What was on the plates? The Torah, the, or the law of Moses. And so Jews today look at the gift of the Torah as just that, one of those gifts from the bridegroom to help them to establish this relationship with God. I will also remind you that Joseph Smith changed the, the term testament to covenant every time in the scriptures. So we often think of law of Moses as Old Testament. And when we hear that word old, and we are hearing a lot of it this year with Come, Follow Me. A lot of people think meaning defunct. This really doesn't affect me, has nothing to do with me. 
But if we think of it instead that it might have been more appropriate to call it the first covenant, and therefore the New Testament is the renewed covenant in light of what we learned about the new and everlasting covenant, we will see the Old Testament with very different eyes. In fact, I will tell you, I, I shared with you that I started reading the Bible when I was nine. And it was the Old Testament's emphasis on the temple and on prophets that led me to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, I was raised as an anti-Mormon. By the time I was 16, I read every anti-Mormon thing that could ever have been printed and all the things that have been coming out the last couple of years are just rehash. Um, and so the last place I would have looked would be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I had a list, and the list that for me that had to have a true church, it had to have a prophet, someone who was speaking to God today, it had to have apostles, such as um, Jesus had set up in his church when he was on the earth, and it had to have a temple. Specifically, Isaiah prophesied so much about that in the latter days, all people from all nations, from all tribes, sons and daughters, would be able to go into the temple of the Lord. And there's only one place and only one time that has occurred, and that is in our dispensation. And so, I just want us to see how everything ties together so beautifully between the Old and New Testaments, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants. And so when, again, speaking about the law, this is something also from Judaism 101. They say that the law explained the covenant relationship between God and man. Now I have to ask, uh, a lot of times, I wonder how well members of the church understand the covenant relationship between God and man. That's something that our dear President Nelson has been emphasizing from the moment of his first uh, call as the prophet and encouraging us to be on the covenant path and understand what the covenant is. It exposed our separation from God as we were unable to live perfectly. In other words, the law, the law of Moses focused on the fact that an atonement was necessary in order for man to be reconciled to God and come into his presence. And it revealed our hope of reunification with God through the sacrifice of the Messiah, and I bet at Jesus Christ, but that um, the teachings are today is that the Messiah will be the one that brings that unification. Now, a lot of people also say this to me. Well, didn't Jesus say that the law of Moses is ended? And therefore, again, they just extrapolate and go to the next step and think, if the law of Moses is ended, I don't need to know anything about it. It, can't, it doesn't have anything to teach me. But I want us to look at what he did say a little bit in a different light than we might have before. He says, in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. Now, there's more than one way to say fulfilled. Much of the time, we think it means end, as in this case. Behold, my soul delighteth in proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ. For for this end hath the law of Moses been given. And all things which have been given of God from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of him. Please look at how end is used in this scripture. In other words, it's pointing, the law of Moses is pointing to Jesus Christ, just as Amulek taught and as Alma taught in the Book of Mormon. And then how about this? Jesus said, for behold, the covenant which I have made with my people is not all fulfilled, but the law which was given unto Moses 
hath an end in me. So once again, when we read that, we always think, okay, that means law of Moses doesn't mean anything for us. It has no value for us. But how about if we use that term end in the same way Jesus used the word end when he spoke of his role in his ministry to Pilate? To Pilate, Jesus says, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. In other words, the law of Moses is typifying Jesus Christ. And so there might be some value to us in studying parts of the law of Moses and how they symbolize Christ in helping us to have a greater understanding. As I mentioned earlier, because they were not able to withstand his presence, Christ gave them a gift of mercy in preparing them to receive the Aaronic priesthood and to have the tabernacle by which they could practice their way of returning into the presence of God. And so, in other words, to help prepare them for that eventual marriage. In fact, for many of the ancient day, they referred to the Holy of Holies as the wedding chamber of the Lord. That invitation to come into covenant and enter into the rest of the Lord or into his presence has been extended again in our day and to all people. Whereas the children of Israel had one tribe, the tribe of Levi, and within that tribe only one family, direct descendants of Aaron, that were permitted to go inside of the temple. Today, the invitation is to all men and all women, anyone who is willing to accept that invitation to covenant, to come and partake. Paul taught this. So remember that the Doctrine and Covenants verse, um, chapter 84, or section 84, explained that entering into the rest of God means coming into his presence. And so Paul, in his great letter to the Hebrews, which many believe were written to the priests to help them to understand that everything they were doing was pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, Paul says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So Paul, remember, was, was uh, ministering during a time after that new and everlasting covenant had been restored. And he is saying, we now also have this invitation to come into a covenant and to come into the presence of God. And he says, let's not be like the children of Israel who got so afraid that they didn't accept the invitation. He said, let's make sure that we receive that invitation and come into his presence, which is interpreted as coming into that marriage covenant with God. Today, many Jews, for this commemoration of that day at Mount Sinai called Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, or Shavuot, um, have some very special rituals that they partake in to, to signal the Lord that they are now ready to come into his presence. Taking that plea very seriously of let's not fall short of the promise, let's understand the promise, they want to make sure that God knows and that they know they are now ready for him to come. And if ever there were people who were looking for the Messiah, it is the Jewish people. 
So this is what is said on Shabbat.org. The Torah, or the law, was given in the early morning and the nation of Israel was still sleeping. Think of the 10 virgins. God had to wake us up to give us the Torah, think covenant. And this is seen as a sign of disrespect for the divine gift of the Torah, or the law, or the covenant. In order to rectify this error, it is customary to stay awake the entire night of Shavuot, learning Torah in anticipation of the annually repeated revelation that occurs in the early morning. A more mystical reason for this custom is the one we mentioned here. We must prepare the ornaments or the matron or the bride. The bride we are adorning, remember that the bridegroom gave the, the bride clothing and jewelry and coins for which she was to dress herself to signal that she's ready for the wedding. The bride we are adorning by learning Torah on Shavuot night is thus essentially our individual selves as well as the collective community of Israel. Compared to all other festivals, the supernal union of Shavuot is especially dependent on our active participation. This is accomplished by preparing the bride's adornments when we stay awake the entire night. So this is not the only night of one of the ancient feasts and festivals that the Israelites would stay awake all night preparing themselves. But this is the only night that they are preparing themselves as if they are one of those 10 virgins, that they're preparing themselves to say, we are ready for the marriage. And the way that we're signaling that, we're studying the law or the covenant, and we are, and for many of them, the women wash and braid their hair with jewels. That was part of the ancient tradition is a bride would borrow jewels from her friends. Do you remember how the uh, children of Israel were told to borrow the jewels from the Egyptians? What did they do with their jewels? They made the golden calf. But it was a very important part of the ritual that the women were to braid their hair with the jewels so that they're shining like the Shekinah shines, saying, I'm ready for the marriage. And we'll learn later in the week that, that the Savior tells us that one of the main ways he knows that we as his people are ready for that marriage to take place, awake and arise and put on thy beautiful garments. It's in every single book of scripture, Old and New Testament, Book of Mormon, and Doctrine and Covenants. So it must be important. And so here we have some re uh, religious Jews today that are doing this, and we might ask ourselves, what can we do to signal the Lord that we are ready to be in a covenant relationship with him? I remember that during COVID, when our temples were shut down, that President Nelson invited us to go through in our minds our temple covenants and to remind ourselves and to walk through that. We also have the opportunity to partake of the sacrament every week and to renew our covenants then. And then we are encouraged to read our scriptures just as the Jews were doing here with the Torah, same thing, to, we are encouraged to read our scriptures so that we might recognize truth and prepare ourselves and be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Now the Lord has promised through the prophet Jeremiah that even though the children of Israel were not able to accept the fullness of the covenant at Mount Sinai, the Lord has promised that he would 
continue to extend that invitation to covenant throughout the generations. And this is what he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no man, no, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. Remember that promise of rest and coming into his presence. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So remember that the law that had been given before, the covenant, uh, was on tablets of stone. And in this verse in Jeremiah, the Lord is comparing sort of that outward, outside of the heart, carving of the commandments, and telling us that in the latter days, that covenant will be different because it will be written on our inward parts. So how do we get the covenant into our heart? How do we get the covenant into our heart? But perhaps following the example of those faithful Jews who are saying, I'm preparing for the marriage by caring about reading my scriptures, about renewing the covenants that I have made, about making sure I'm prepared to receive the bridegroom. And so then we can help to fulfill this promise of the Lord. And remember that just as he had promised Abraham that he would bring the children of Israel back to him into the promised land and receive of the covenant, and even as the Lord continues to keep his covenants, even when Israel isn't, even when we are not, he is still keeping his promises. And that is something that I hope this story engraves upon our hearts above all else, is that he tells us later that even when we stray, he'll never leave us and he will not divorce us. So President Brigham Young said, there is no doubt if a person lives according to the revelations given to God's people, he may have the spirit of the Lord to signify to him his will and to guide and to direct him in the discharge of his duties in his temporal as well as his spiritual exercises. I am satisfied, however, that in this respect, we live far beneath our privileges. So I want to share an example with you to just sort of be thinking about. You might agree with me that previously to the change to, from visiting teaching and home teaching to ministering, would you have called visiting teaching and home teaching more like a law of Moses law? In other words, re-reported, um, someone would call us or we emailed in and said, I have visited so-and-so and this is what's happening. But President Nelson specifically used the wording, I am inviting you to a holier way of ministering to others. So in other words, he removed, if you will, that law of Moses aspect. And how do you feel like we're doing overall? How do you think we're doing overall? <laughs> so I think it's really important for us to think of that when we try to understand and wrap our minds around 
what was the law of Moses to the children of Israel? And how does, when we kind of get uppity of how could they not tell and how could they keep making those mistakes, um, and we see our own example today when we've had the law of Moses <laughs> repealed on a certain part for us, where it's all up to our agency, we're not reporting to anybody. Do you have a comment? We have time for one comment. I've got a question. The Jewish people have a marriage ceremony now. How does that carry from what they used to have? Yeah, very, very much so. And in fact, I'll be sharing that. I hope you don't mind. Um, I'm going to be sharing that on another day. But yes, those ceremonies, those ancient ceremonies of the Israelite people um, are very much seen in what Christ has provided to us as his bride and also in the preparations for that great marriage supper of the Lord or the marriage supper of the Lamb. Beautiful, thank you so much. So this is what we want to remember is that those promises are sure and like the Israelites, we might not be quite ready. We might be willing, and, and you have experienced this, I'm sure, in your own life, in different parts of gospel covenant expectations, that you might be willing and do very well at some and maybe a little slower at others. The important thing for us is to recognize that he is still there. And as we shared at the very beginning, in an Old Testament uh, prophecy by him. He has redeemed us. He speaks of it past tense as if it has happened and we can trust in him. So this is Paul continuing in the book of Hebrews encouraging us that we don't fall short of accepting that promise. He says, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So again, please, as you read this verse, think of the children of Israel. Think of yourself at the mountain. And it's scary. There's, there's a, loud, a loud sound. There's smoke and fire. And Paul says, let's come boldly unto the throne of grace. Remember what grace is. It's an enabling power that enables us to do more than we can do on our own. In other words, please remember that God wants this experience for us. It's not a grand test. He wants us to know him, and he will help us to make that journey if we ask him, that we may obtain, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now remember the initial promise with that invitation to the covenant, that Israel would become a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. That's still the invitation today. And I think that we can hardly comprehend what it is he's inviting us to do. President John Taylor said, have you forgotten who you are and what your object is? Have you forgotten that you profess to be saints of the Most High God, clothed upon with the Holy Priesthood? Have you forgotten that you are aiming to become kings and priests to the Lord and queens and priestesses to him? 
I've been teaching seminary for a number of years, and something I've really observed in the last few years is how few of my students have talked about or thought about receiving a patriarchal blessing. And yet, most of my students, and I, I come from the Seattle area, so we might be exceptionally in this direction, but most of my students are really struggling. And many of them are struggling with suicide. In, my, in the high school uh, in my district, we have had several suicides in the last few years. And kids seem really lost and in a lot of pain. And yet it's interesting to me that if I ask a class of juniors who I taught last year, what do you think about getting a patriarchal blessing? They tell me they haven't discussed it at all with their family. They don't know anything about a patriarchal blessing. And then when we do talk about what a patriarchal blessing is, they will answer they're not sure they want to know what God wants them to do. And yet I feel that is the greatest gift and strength that they can receive because otherwise every nasty thing someone's telling them at school about themselves Every bullying word hits their hearts so hard because that feels like that is the biggest reality to them in their very short lives that they've ever encountered. If instead, as parents, we are teaching them from the beginning that they are children of God meant to be exalted, meant to become as God is, and that each of them has a precious mission and, in fact, numerous missions to fulfill. And in order to fulfill those missions, the Lord has gifted them with numerous gifts and talents. And it's just simply a matter of discovery of what those talents are. And as, as a parent, I would think it would be very important, I do this with my seminary students, to actually make lists of what you have observed in your children as gifts and talents they have. What a change can occur to them when they recognize that they are eternal beings who God trusts and who God is reliant on. Did you notice what happened with the young people when President Nelson told them, we trust you and asked them to become a battalion in gathering Israel on both sides of the veil? Well, those kids squared their shoulders and they went to work because the, the prophet had spoken to them like that. And I think that if we, if we take this to heart, Spencer W. Kimball said, we do not rear children just to please our vanity. We bring children into the world to become kings and queens and priests and priestesses for our Lord. And Joseph Fielding Smith taught, the main purpose for our mortal ex existence is that we might obtain tabernacles of flesh and bones for our spirits that we might advance after the resurrection to the fullness of the blessings which the Lord has promised to those who are faithful. They've been promised that they shall become sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And if they have been true to the commandments and covenants the Lord has given, to be kings and priests and queens and priestesses, possessing the fullness of the blessings of the celestial kingdom. And brothers and sisters, this is the promise of the covenant. This is what is meant by the invitation to come into that covenant relationship with God that he refers to as a marriage. I want to bear my testimony to you that I know that he loves you. As I was preparing and preparing and preparing and preparing, I just kept feeling the most important thing is to please bear witness as to how much 
God loves you. And this is just one of the character traits that he is sharing with us to try to help us to understand the depth and breadth of his love for us. He is there. He is keeping his promises. Regardless of our readiness, he is waiting. He will help us. He will give us grace and mercy to be able to finally come into his presence and be in that full nature of a covenant. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.